Welcome to this special edition of No Wrong Answers, the podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. We are taping live from Lewis and Clark Elementary School in Liberty, Missouri, just north of Kansas City, where there has been a revolution of sorts in how teachers teach and students learn. It's called Maker Education, and what we want to know... Does what this school do herald bigger changes in education, or will what Lewis and Clark is doing go the way of so many other promising education reforms of the past? Stay with us. Well, we are in the library of Lewis and Clark Elementary. You're normally supposed to be quiet, but we do have a a little crowd here, so make some noise. Hello, Lewis and Clark. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kyle Palmer, the host of No Wrong Answers. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm... Uh, glad to have a crowd of parents, teachers, staff members, some students here at Lewis and Clark Elementary for this discussion. We're about to have them also joined by a panel of guests who play a role here at this school. So let's introduce them. Angela Rosheim, you're a teacher. Welcome. Thank you. And what do you teach? I'm the library media specialist. Uh, good to have you along. Amanda Crossley, you're a parent here at Lewis and Clark Elementary. How many, how many kids do you have go here? I have two. My son is in fourth grade and my daughter is in first. Thank you so much for joining us. And... I promise we're not entering the twilight zone. <laughs> we'll just get out of the way right <laughs> but, now. Yeah. But the principal of Lewis and Clark is Kyle Palmer. Nice. Welcome, Kyle Palmer. Well, <laughs> Kyle, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so we have principal, teacher, uh, and parent as well. Glad all three of you could join us. Well, let's get to it. Uh, education Week has written in the past year that, uh, quote, few trends in education are as hot or as under-researched as maker education. While researchers and educators out there may still be studying maker education's potential for Lewis and Clark, really it's been full steam ahead. For the past three years, this school has swiftly expanded its use of maker education and has seen test scores go up and discipline referrals go down. It began here in the library in 2014 with the help of a grand Angela Rosheim created a maker space in her old supply room, which which you can look back out there right now and see. Uh, She added maker learning to her library time during the regular school day, and as students filtered back to their regular classrooms, excitedly talking about what they were doing in the library, other teachers swiftly caught on. At least two grades now have their own maker spaces, and nearly all classrooms in some way or another now use maker learning to some degree. The maker movement, if you want to call it that, at Lewis and Clark has been embraced by the principal, Kyle Palmer. For three years in a row now, the school has been recognized as a model school by the International Center for Leadership and Education. The ICLE calls Lewis and Clark one of the most rapidly improving schools in the nation, highlights its revisioning of learning spaces and new culture of learning. So you guys should be pretty proud of yourselves. Absolutely. Uh, So we wanted to come here and talk to people in this school community to get a sense of what this shift towards so-called maker education has meant for students, teachers, and parents, and also ask what happens next. So... After that introduction, I want to turn to Angela Rosheim. It started with you. You've told me that three years ago you were in a professional rut of sorts. Out of that came a makerspace. Why a makerspace? Well, I was in a bit of a rut, and actually the kids were in a bit of a rut as well. Um, I started out just like reading stories and doing activities, moved on into research, and then kind of moved into Genius Hour which is a philosophy of letting kids choose what they wanted to research. And when I moved kind of that into that route, I realized that what had been happening in the library wasn't that um, innovative, wasn't that exciting. And kids were just kind of going through the motions. And I I thought I was too. Yeah, Give me an example of what that might have looked like. Um, 
oh, let's say we were researching a new president to put on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, typical and project, so, right? right. Yeah. And um, we, the kids, you know, we disseminated the presidents. They researched them, but there really wasn't any buy-in from them. It really wasn't important to them. And that made me realize, you know what? I can understand that. It's, you know, it's it was helping with research skills. It was helping them learn some of the things that they needed in the library, but it wasn't um, getting their attention. It wasn't putting their learning in their hands. It was always me. Do you need to get this done? Hurry and finish this. Stay on task. Let's get this going. And that's when I realized that we needed to do something a little bit different. And before I bring uh, Principal Palmer and Amanda Crossley, and so how how does maker education, maker spaces? Uh, change that I mean we're sitting in a library it still very much looks like a library there are books um, you, you still do the traditional librarian things we I would do imagine. we we promote books we we have book talks we have a Wednesday morning book club we really still believe in what a, a regular library does but we also know what can be possible when you give kids other opportunities like uh, robotics and coding and making uh, Principal Kyle Palmer, two or three years ago, Miss Ro Rosheim comes and tells you she wants to do maker education in the library. She wants to build a maker space. Had you ever heard of a maker space before Not that? Not until that day. I'd never heard of that. No. And so what sold you on this idea of at least trying this? Because I knew Angela was going to be doing it. Yeah. And what happened after that? Uh, Angela had already been probably a year into it or so. I think she looked at a lot of online blogs and different resources. Um, I knew, you know, education was changing. We needed as a district and as a school to, to kind of, you know, adapt to those changes. Bill Daggett has a great line about, you know, schools trying to perfect the past instead of reimagining a new future. And that's what we tried to do. I think for, I've been here for 10 years. And at that time, we had been here for seven years, and we were just trying to perfect the past. We were trying to do what we'd always done in education for 100 years and just try to tweak this or tweak that and make it a little bit better. That system worked okay. It, didn't, it wasn't what our kids needed in thinking about what our kids needed for their future. And going into the 20, you know, we were, you know, 2014, we were 14 years into the 21st century, and we were not a 21st century school. So when that, when Bill said that, it's, I think that's a great line, and it really made me think about what needed to be different about our school. Because I was admittedly a very skeptical person when it came to technology in the classroom, when it came to transforming spaces and changing a traditional school. Um, I'm just lucky that Angela had that vision for what she wanted to do for our kids. And the, one of the biggest advantages was, as her serving as in the library, was that she impacted all of our kids. I think a lot of schools have tried to do with this or do that, you know, kind of, you know, hodgepodge some things together. But the biggest advantage was that Angela got to connect with every one of our kids. Amanda Crossley, you have two kids here. Mm -hmm. um, you've told me that you and your husband actually moved so that you could be in the attendance area for Lewis and Clark. You and a former you, Lewis and Clark trailblazer you, herself. <laughs> yes. You attended here as a yes, child yes. as well, but you, but, uh -huh. but you moved back here in order so that your kids could go here. So clearly you respected the reputation of the school before maker education ever came along, before it was a thing. Um, tell me, get, get specific for me. So what this year, what have your, mm -hmm. your kids brought home or what have they talked about when they've come home about what they've been doing? You know, right out of the gate, the, when one of the first makerspace projects I'll just talk about was with my son. And he, he came home and they had fourth to do grade, a, correct, yeah. He's in fourth grade now. He was younger. It was their first year. And he was so excited because they were going to do a marble run. And it was fun to watch him come home. I think it, 
it helped him in one it was teamwork so I think you know that initial frustration of oh, I got to work with all these people and mom I have this really good idea but Susie has this other idea and yeah, Billy has this it, idea yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so it was really fun to watch him kind of through that process and kind of at the end of it when he circled back it was like well you know we use a little bit of this and a little bit of their idea and um, there is no instruction so here are your tools this is your end product, but you have to go figure it out. And so from a parent's perspective, that was refreshing because when they get older, they're not going to have instructions to go do all of this. And I, to me, that's a, that's a big leadership thing. It's um, problem solving. My son really particularly liked the catapult this year. And my daughter is very excited. They're making a super bug. And so it's just, to me, it's just bringing up lots of fun conversation versus um, how was your spelling test? And which all that's very important too, but it's fun for them to come home and have these exciting stories. And you've no, so you've about. noticed the difference in the conversations you're having oh, at home. Yeah. Absolutely. How have you have you have two kids? So how have they taken to this type of learning differently, if at all? The teamwork was a big a big part. I think more probably for uh, my older one than with my daughter. I know that she. I I think it's given her some confidence, so that it's okay to fail because she's very much like a people pleaser and she wants to do it right and she wants the teacher to be proud of her. But this is like, hey, it's okay if you fail. And if anything, that's encouraged because it's teaching her how to solve that problem on her own and not be instructed. So it's given her a lot of confidence. And I have a couple other friends of mine that have had that same, where maybe their child, one friend in particular, her son was struggling with reading and was feeling a little kind of down of sorts and in that in his education, of course, he's worked hard. The teachers have worked with him. That's all going well. But he got so excited because he came home from school and he had done a maker's project. And he was like, Mom, I was like the leader. And I was definitely the one that had like some really good ideas. And he was so, because he's definitely a creative thinker and he's a hard worker. And it kind of re gave him a boost in his confidence and in his excitement to learn. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, in, in my opinion, helped him be excited to keep reading and in those other areas he was struggling in so uh, that's an interesting point so Angela and Kyle uh, accepting failure uh, actually anticipating <coughs> failure is part of you know a maker mindset right at least from what I've read um, failure public education doesn't necessarily do failure well at least they haven't in the past um, so squ uh, square that for me between the, the maker mindset and the traditional structure that is public education that was probably the hardest um, thing that I had to go up against is because in school we always expect kids or we want them to do it right the first time and there were a lot of kids that they weren't comfortable failing and we like to call it failing forward because when you fail you are figuring out what's not working and you can try to find a way that it will work one of my quotes kind of when I started was there is an answer to almost every problem you have but it may not, you may not solve it the way you originally thought you were going to. And that's one thing that we work with kids a lot is, okay, so this didn't work. Are you going to work on this for 10 more hours and it still won't work? Or are you going to be resilient? And are you going to come up with another way to solve your problem? There are still kids that don't like to fail, but I, I, I see them being okay with it because everybody else is okay with it. I mean, I'm not going to say we, we have tears, but that's where you have to stop and say, okay, this is what happened. How will you solve it? Instead of me going and saying, let's do this, 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 and this, how are you going to solve it? 
your group's not working together, you are crying, you are, it's failing, what will you do? Have you had tears at home, Amanda? <laughs> Overmaker projects? No, <laughs> oh, not yeah. at home. I, I don't know if maybe they did at school, <laughs> but um, yeah. I think they're used to, I think they're very much, I think, uh, talk about what you saw three years ago versus now. I think there's, I, mean, I think kids uh, get through that a lot more now than what they did three years ago. I'll just give you a very quick example. When we first started, kind of one of the things that was a catalyst of starting the Makerspace was um, a Canes Arcade cardboard um, project that we were doing. And the kids, it was one of the biggest things that we did. And the kids would come to me every time. This was time. based on an old, uh, uh, like a, on, a viral video yes, from a few yes, years ago. Yes. I remember this. Yeah, the kid, he, made, kid made his own He does. Arcade, he makes his yeah. own arcades. Yeah. And so we had watched that while getting ready for Genius Hour. And one of our students said, I think we should do that. And so we did. Um, we learned a lot from it the first time and have changed it since. But I would have kids come to me with tape just wrapped around their scissors. And they would expect me to, to take care of it. They would come to me when they were ready for a next step. They say, what do we do now? What do we do now? That is, I think, the biggest change that I've seen is the planning in the kids. They don't rely on me so much. They, they will rely on themselves or they will figure out who is the expert in the room on whatever we're working on and they will go to that expert. And a lot of times that expert is not the kid who does school fabulously you know they're the kids that sometimes struggle but that is their strength and that's what Amanda was talking to is those kids can show their passions and their strengths in different ways rather than math or reading and that gives that boost so that beginning part for us was rough but it has just changed so much yeah. um, the kids I don't know it's they're so much more independent and they are thinkers they don't come to me for every every question that they have. Yeah. Um, uh, imagine you're talking to a school that's where you were at three years ago. What would you, from all three of your perspectives, what would be your advice? Well, we have a lot of schools that come in and visit, and it seems like most of them want to know what's in the space. And that's how I started, too. When I went the and I looked at... objects uh -huh. in the space. When I went and looked at spaces, I looked at Union Station. I went, to a couple, I went to a school in St. Louis, and I wanted to see what they had because, number one, I, I think a lot of teachers are visual. If they see something, then they can kind of make it work. Um, so that's what a lot of people start with I think that what they really need to think about is why they want it because a lot of schools come because they want a maker space not because it's trendy it yes um, and I'm not saying that all of them do but I, I I worry a little bit about that because I think I think your school needs to need it um, not necessarily want it I think you need to see something from your kids that say that they need more that they're not okay with what they're getting now so i would say if schools were coming to visit sure look at the space um, get a visual of it but then think about what you want for your kids when i started i bought what was in other people's maker spaces that's where i started now i look at what i want my kids to do and i i purchase materials that way and what experiences i want them to have yeah kyle from a from the a building perspective what do you think a, a building should know or think about? Before I think oh, I make sure when we take people th you know, on tours through the library, I'm always clear with you can have all the makerspace. And we've had schools come in and say, we have you know, $30,000 to spend on a makerspace. We've got $40,000. And it is 
what Angela said, they're looking at what to buy. But I always tell them that it doesn't matter the, if you have the makerspace and all the stuff. If you don't have the person to make it all go, like Angela, who has that mindset or you know of, of what it should look like for kids, it's all it's all a big waste of money. And I think what you said about wanting it or needing it. Um, we, we just try and talk about changing teachers' mindsets. And I think if, if we change how teachers think, they'll change how they act in the classroom and with kids and, and trying to move from a, a very a teacher-centered classroom to a student-centered classroom. Uh, it's with flex spaces, PLTW, whatever it is, innovation-wise. If teachers don't understand the why behind it all and the why behind it all going back to what we want for our kids, they really, really miss the boat because there's a lot of silver bullets out there. There's a lot of... There's a lot of things you can buy that are shiny and flashy and, and cool, but if you don't truly understand why and go back to why schools need to look and be different for kids, uh, schools really, really miss the boat. Well, I mean, is there a danger that, you know, maker education, maker spaces will just be seen as the new big shiny thing? I think there's education? always a big new shiny thing out there. So that's why, that's why what I love about Lewis and Clark is, is that we have done this from a, from a, a very traditional school so it wasn't torn down it wasn't rebuilt it wasn't you know thousands of dollars added in to, to change things we took teachers who were here and tried to change their mindsets and ways of doing things while still holding on to what has always made Lewis and Clark Lewis and Clark which is the relationships and the the parent outreach and the community and how our teachers love kids and we've taken all that while trying to, as our foundation, and tried to adapt and change to, to better meet the needs of our kids. And I think maker education, it'll be something different. You know, we've, we've tried to dabble a lot more with design thinking this year as well. Um, it'll be a new PLTW. There'll be something new all the time. But that's why I, I like that idea of always thinking about the right way to do things. Because if you think the right things, you'll do the right things. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think about, I think about schools that face maybe more outside pressures than Lewis and Clark might face, and I'm, maybe I'm making assumptions, um, accountability pressures, um, pressures to achieve certain test scores. Um, tell those schools why, why this might be able to work for their schools. If they're, if they're worried about you know, maybe more existential things, like are we still gonna be able to open the doors next year, or threaten getting closed down because our, our test scores aren't high enough? I encourage principals or teachers or whoever it may be to just ask them what if you change what your opportunities are in the classroom that kids really really like it what are they going to do they're, they're going to love school they're going to want to be engaged they're going to want to do whatever it is because they ha they're having fun they're learning and they're building skills that might be the avenue that you go to to increase your you know behavior in your school instead of like I said earlier, like trying to perfect all these things we've been trying to do forever. And if it's not working, it's not working. Stop trying to fix that. Try to look at things differently. Uh, Amanda Cross, I want to give you the final word. Um, you came here as a student when mm -hmm. you were a child. Mm -hmm. um, and now you have two children here at Lewis and Clark. Uh, biggest difference between your experience and their experience? I mean, we've I sort of touched on it earlier, but it's just that... I think school in general has changed a lot since I was here. But um, the biggest thing is just them having the opportunity to learn what's best for them. So I think when I was younger, everybody sat at a desk and everybody did the exact same thing and it was very instructional and that was fine. There was one way to do everything. 
And I think it's really exciting because um, kind of circling back to the story I told earlier about, you know, a, a friend's kid of, that I know, um, he was feeling a little defeated at school and, and he wasn't the typical child that could just sit and and follow instruction all day long and he's definitely more creative. To watch his, I mean, it was a complete flip of attitude with school after he started being able to be a part of Makerspace. He goes to all the clubs and to watch him be excited about school and then come in and actually want to learn all those other things that might have been mundane or boring to him in the past he was more excited just to be in the classroom. So I think in turn has made him a better student all around. And I, I see that true with my daughter too. Um, so I like that that we're, teachers are recognizing and, and administration and everybody's noticing that not every child learns the same way. And so giving them those different outlets to excel or, or problem solve or become a leader, what I mean, that's exciting. And I think that that's neat. And that's just preparing them to be better adults and better students when they get to the higher grades. So I love it. Uh, well, again, we want to thank our panelists, Angela Rosheim, the maker's maker. Thank <laughs> you so much. He's practiced that for a while now. <laughs> he's, he's got uh, Amanda Crossley, thank you so much as well. And Principal Kyle Palmer. Yes, Principal Kyle Palmer. Maybe the real Kyle Palmer. Well, th and thank you, Kyle Palmer, for coming <laughs> and doing your podcast at Lewis and Clark. Well, been, we want to thank fun. Lewis and Clark Elementary and Liberty, Missouri, for allowing us the time and space to come into your school for this discussion. Uh, thanks to the Liberty School District as well. The superintendent is here. Uh, thanks to our audience. We're taping this at the end of a long school day, so we have some staff members, some teachers, some students as well, so thanks for sticking around. Thanks to Matt Hodap, who produces No Wrong Answers. He's the guy over there with the beanie on. <laughs> That's going to be in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to KCUR 89.3 Kansas City Public Radio. We normally tape in their studios. Um, and we want to thank them as well. That's all from Lewis and Clark Elementary in Liberty, Missouri. See you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! Thanks. All right.